Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello everyone, welcome to the Doggy Pod, and uh, glad you've joined us because my producer here, my friend, has talked me into a little insight into my life being revealed. I'm Dr. Rob Zammett. And I am producer Stephen Peters, and as Rob says, this is a special episode all about vets. And we happen to know one with Dr. Rob, so what do vets do, how do they do it, how long does it take, why do they do it, sit back because there's going to be some interesting stories coming your way. You're going to find out some things about Dr. Rob that you certainly didn't know and maybe after you've heard them, you didn't want to know. <laughs> I'm going to try and answer some of those questions about a trip to the vets, you know, what's it like? And you might find some surprises there. Now, normally I'd be asking Dr. Rob, you know, what's been happening in the clinic this week? But uh, we'll dispense with that because we're about to go way, way back, back to the 60s. So back then, Rob, when you were growing up and you thought, yeah, when did you decide I want to look after animals for the rest of my life? This is what I've been put on earth to do. Yeah, look, it was a bit of a challenge because I loved animals from the get-up. We used to own a delicatessen back in the suburb of Oatley. And in those days, there was no such thing as vacuum sealed meats. You know, cold meats, you'd go to the delicatessen, we used to slice them up. At the very end, there was this bit that you couldn't slice. You know, the very tail end of all these meat rolls would just add up. So I'd go out the back and I'd have all these dogs that come from all around the place. They'd know that I'd come out and feed them. I just loved it. 
animals, and I love dogs especially. So the dogs would come not because they liked you, no. because you had a, a, a ton of meat. Bribery, bribery. Yes, I, mean, yes. I was probably causing some problems in some of the intestinal tracts of some of those dogs looking back, <laughs> but they all seemed to enjoy it, and they come round, and I'd, I'd give them food, and I was told not to do it, and kept on doing it um, <laughs> because I love dogs. Then later on, um, you know, I, I'll be honest, I had some traumas in my life, and a dog came into my life in born on the 19th of August 1967 his name was Strauss and he saw me through some real traumatic times um, in my adolescent years so that after that I thought yep this is what I want to do I want to look after you and look after dogs and he turned my life around we used to go dog training and uh, didn't have a car I was too young to have a car so had to catch the train to dog dog training every week, every Sunday. We'd hop on the train, buy a ticket for the dog, and uh, off we'd go. So this was just a sort of basic dog training, heel, walk, all that sort yeah, of stuff? Yeah, obedience, jump over jumps, and we used to go to obedience trials the same way. I had to get on the train to go to an obedience trial, wherever that might be, uh, whether it was in the city or on, in one of the suburbs. And that's how we. That's how I started with dogs, and that's how we started doing dog training from a long way back. And then uh, I decided, yep, I love dogs way too much to leave them and I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I studied hard and uh, actually probably didn't study hard enough. I had to leave school at the end of year 11 and uh, because of traumas and was told to probably never make it to university. Were, were you, uh, did you have good grades at, at high school? Not then. I was uh, struggling a lot because of my traumas and went to what was called Tech College or TAFE yes. these days, mm. did the HSC, got into uh, Teachers College, but there was no transfer. If you did Teachers College, that's where you'd be the rest of your life. So I went back to TAFE another year, did the high school certificate again, and uh, got into pharmacy at Sydney University, or I could have got into um, medicine at New South Wales University, become a doctor. But I said, no, I want to be a veterinarian. I was told no transfers would be allowed. Uh, I'd just be better off picking one of those unless I wanted to go and do the high school certificate a third time, and no-one does that, they said to me. <laughs> well, Robert Zammett decided he would do that. My parents were a bit devastated, you know, like they, Italian parents, their son, the doctor, they would love that idea. And I said, no, I'm going back one more time to do the high school certificate again and try again. So is that because you didn't pass it the first two times? I, I passed but not got high not enough high grades. Enough, yeah. The grades were good enough to do to become a human doctor, so I could have operated on you, but I couldn't have operated on your dog. Wow, okay. <laughs> so I went back and did the high school certificate a third time. So that course, though, uh, to become a vet, how long was that back then? It's five-year full-time. It's a real full-time course. I, I look at these full-time courses these days and they start at 10 and they finish at 2 or 3 and it's 3 days a week they seem to keep bankers hours in those <laughs> days you had to get to you know, uni somewhere between 8 and 9 o'clock and you'd finish somewhere between 3 and 5 o'clock and that was you know, 5 days five a week 5 years yeah, plus, plus we used to do we had to do 12 weeks in some cases more than that uh, you had to work on farms either with horses or with cattle or whatever it was you know, um, dog kennels we had to do between 12 to 26 weeks work, depending on what year you were in, and uh, just keep on writing all those up. You had to get things signed off and write big journals about those things. So it was a lot of so hard like work, work experience, basically. A lot of work experience. This was not as a vet, just 
you know, helping farmers, learning about animal husbandry on, on different facets of different species of animals. So uni life, I'm guessing there was probably a few toga parties. And... Oh, it was too much fun. Uni life was too... At the end of term, <laughs> we, you know, I went to Sydney University. It's the little school at the bottom of the hill. We decided that they put it right at the bottom of the hill to avoid and away from everybody to avoid all those smells that come from a veterinary school. Right, <laughs> so, yeah, well, fair enough. And so we were able to have our end of term um, kegs there. It was too many of those. But... Finally, it was, uh, you had to live in at a place called Cobbity, which is near Camden on the outskirts of Sydney, where you did all your large animal work. And that year was too much fun. I'm not even sure that, that year was legal. I had so much fun. And, of course, there's the final year review. And I will admit to you people, we dressed up. <clears throat> there was four of us, two girls and myself and another friend of mine who was a veterinarian, ran the Schubert at Terry Hills. We dressed up like ABBA. Except we called ourselves Blabber. However, <clears throat> at the end of that, we had to strip off in our stockings. This would suspenders. be with the Dancing Queen, I'm guessing. That was it. Dancing Queen came on and we had to dance. Rainer and I had to dance the Dancing Queen. We had a lot of fun. So during this period, as you say, you had to go and do work experience. You, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing you were given some really crap jobs to do <laughs> at, at vet clinics and farms or whatever. Oh, yeah. You, I mean... Because you were the lowest rung, rung on the ladder, really. Absolutely. And I, I almost don't want to tell you some of them. <laughs> no, you do. You do. You do. <laughs> well, we had to do everything. We, As students in those days, we really were expected to do everything. Um, right up to, you know... Um, of course, cleaning out the pits that were full of... Oh, you don't even want to imagine. Mm. Um, some of those septic things were just really horrible. Um, certainly that was probably one of the worst things that you had to do. You had to um, clean up after the animals. And uh, I remember once uh, I was doing, the, doing a prac for a week on chickens and it was pretty horrible. You had to clean these chickens. We had to do post-mortems on any chickens that died. It was pretty awful. Came home and what had been prepared for me for dinner? Roast chicken. <laughs> I couldn't face it, to be honest. Now, the next week we were doing sheep, so that was a lot better, mind you. We also had to clean up after the sheep and <clears throat> with the lambs we had to select the ones that were going to be slaughtered and work with them and it was, it was pretty difficult because you, you, you love these animals but they're going to be dressed and whatever they're part of life that they will become meat for some people and yes you guests that came home at the end of that week and it was oh no, no we're not going to have chicken for you after last week it's going to be a roast lamb yes, yes. <laughs> put you off meat for life thank god your family never cooked horse <laughs> no we never did that never did that but was that uh, kind of exciting without getting too gross when you would do a post-mortem on any sort of animal that you could actually have the opportunity to have a real a real good look around and you know obviously just learn the craft of being a vet and the skill yeah, of being we, a vet we were lucky i was also lucky because i, I had a job on saturdays at a veterinary hospital so I was able to assist with everything from caesareans to uh, desexings to bone platings and pinnings. And, uh, and this was near a, um, 
a place that, that had national park near it. And so some of the animals that were hit by a car, I would have to do with those while the vet was seeing clients. Couldn't wait, you know, couldn't see both at the same time. So I was doing emergency work and I got a lot of experience as a student that uh, really helped me in good stead when I finally graduated. Got to do a lot of hands-on things that way and uh, it's something that um, I like to give to the generation now. We at Vineyard Veterinary Hospital where I am, it's a teaching hospital for Sydney University and a lot of other universities send their students here and they stay for anywhere between two to four weeks. A lot of them come back afterwards just to enjoy the environment here and they get to put their hands in and help us and uh, assist with a lot of surgeries. So opening up my own practice, um, the hours were just as long. You know, I'd start at, um, at least 8 o'clock in the morning, finish consulting and surgeries at 7, but had to do the after hours as well. I've always believed that you don't just shut the doors and say good luck to your clients and good luck to your, to your animals. I've lived on the premises because I want to be able to check the animals at night, make sure everybody's all right, plus provide a 24-hour emergency service, which we still do after, you know, I've been working in veterinary practices for some 50 years and have always been involved in some way in doing the emergency after hours. These days, the younger people do take it on for me. They you know, feel I've done my, my dues and I can sleep in. But if it's something they can't handle, they know the phone is right next to my bed and my clothes are ready to go. You have to know exactly where your clothes are at night when it's dark and get dressed in the dark, learn how to do all that, and off you go to, to your emergency very quickly. So I'm still in the habit of making sure everything's prepared if there's an after-hours emergency that I have to come and help with because sometimes they're very complicated, need two vets for one surgery. I'm, I'm the backup. So it's it's not a job, it's a lifestyle, really. <clears throat> yeah, well, like I said... It's like an, you have to. Um, it, it has to become part of you to do it properly. There are people that like to do... a a nine to five or nine to three job. You know, like I said, keep bankers hours, but um, then it's no longer a profession. It's just an, you know, a job, your occupation, I guess, that you do. You're a veterinary surgeon, but for me, it's part of me. It's part of uh, what I am and who I am to, to you know, give of yourself because I think that's important. Uh, I love nature, so I became... Finally, after many years, got my scuba diving licence and went scuba diving. So then I did a course at Macquarie University on fish. That led me to be, to work with dolphins, which are not fish, I'm, I know that. <laughs> but I was working with dolphins and seals and lions and tigers. And I've had a fortunate life that way that I've been able to, and still do. I have a, I'm a director at a wildlife sanctuary, two wildlife sanctuaries. They're both called Zambi. One is a Zambi, it's an exotic wildlife sanctuary. So we look after retired animals, retired lions and tigers and uh, monkeys and meerkats and a whole lot of other animals have been retired from other zoos and have nowhere to go, nowhere to live. So they come and stay with us at Zambi Wildlife Sanctuary and we have now opened up Zambi Native Wildlife Sanctuary. Um, we work with some people that are really good people. They've done some great work um, in looking after marsupials and other native animals. What most people won't know, of course, is that, uh, yes, Rob lives where his clinic is, but there's quite a few dogs that live here. <laughs> How many dogs live here, uh, Rob? Not clients, 
dogs that live here? Uh, well, it's, it's still a, cha- a bit of a change in population because some of them are dogs that come in as strays and we hold on to them hoping. Like just recently we had a stray without a microchip number. Yeah, the microchips has made yeah. returning strays back to their owners a lot easier. This dog didn't have a microchip number and I was supposed to send him to the pound. I said, look, I'll just hang on a bit longer, a bit longer, put him on Facebook and that's been a big plus. And we were able to find his owner. And fortunately, I spoke to the owner, and that dog is now microchipped. So if he does get out again, mm. we'll be able to, we or whoever finds him would be able to relocate him back to his owner very quickly. Yeah, but we've had dogs that, um, yeah, for one reason or another, no longer have a home. And so they live with us for a while while they're searching for another forever home rather than waiting in the pound or shelter somewhere. They'll stay here. We have a dog that uh, someone passed away last year and she's a young dog and you know, seven or eight years old and so she lives with us now. So altogether, at the moment, there are 11 dogs on the property. Oh, I've seen <laughs> more than that. I think you've got a couple tucked away you don't even know are living there. Well, sometimes when I vacuum underneath, they go, oh, is there a dog living <laughs> here that I don't know about? <laughs> Trust me, listeners, when we come to record the Doggy Pod episodes, there are dogs everywhere, which is a good thing, of course. Well, little Albert was here, but he was just panting too much. We had to yeah, we had to put, um, put him send back, him, send him yeah, outside. Yeah. I'm afraid. Okay, two questions, Rob. What is the best part of the job? Um, no doubt, when you save an animal's life, um, it was a dog that came up from Canberra that couldn't swallow food because of a congenital problem in in the chest around the heart and the tube going down the esophagus goes from the mouth to the stomach couldn't get through into the stomach. We did surgery on that, and just last week um, I got sent another email with a picture of the dog and the owner saying she is doing fantastic. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. To be able to save a dog's life like that is just so rewarding for me. And, you know, just give that dog back to its owner. Mind you, I told them they're my dogs. They are all my dogs. They become. I become very involved with them, and and they become my dogs. So I said, "You look after that dog. You get to take it home. You get to look after it and feed it and whatever." But they become mine. That my clients, a lot of my close clients, know that. That's how I feel about each and every dog that comes in here. So what's then the worst part of the job? Because they become my dogs. Um, there's no doubt the worst part is putting them to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough thing to do, and it's getting worse as I get older. It should be, you know, I thought I never thought I'd get used to putting a dog or a cat or any animal to sleep. I never no, thought I I'd get used to it. Well, they say you do, but I, I can't. Really? It, maybe I could learn to accommodate it somewhere in my soul or you know, within myself, but I can't. I just, and it's just getting harder and harder to do. Mind you, I tell everyone the same thing. I'd rather be somewhere else when I'm putting your dog down. But I want to be here for your dog and you. I don't want to be anywhere else. It's just a catch-22. I don't want to be here to do it, but I don't want to not be here. I don't want, you know, I've got to be there for the dog. I've got to be there for the owner. And it's a, a tough gig. And I'm not good at it because sometimes I get a bit too emotional about it, um, as I am now thinking about it. Um, so it gets tough to do. That's easily the worst part. No, it's not the anal glands. It's not 
<laughs> you know, relieving yeah. the constipation and getting all the smells out. They're, they're, they're yucky. They're the yuckiest part of the job, I guess. But they're not emotionally they're not taxing. The worst part. No, it's it's an extra relief, I guess, if you if you relieve a dog's mm. anal glands or constipation. And constipation in dogs, remember, they've got a short intestinal tract. You've heard me say that before. And constipation can really kill the dog very quickly. So, mm. you know, it, it, it's serious things. But... Yeah, they're not emotionally taxing. They're just it's relief when it when it works out. Yeah, I reckon. You know, I can't imagine anybody really being able to do that. Mm. And I think that is one of the unique skills of of any vet, to be honest, to be able to mm. do that because that would just be yeah. Just I think it so, takes so tough. It hurts, and it takes a little bit of a, a little bit of your soul goes out. And uh, in the old days, when we had to um, sometimes put dogs down that were perfectly healthy for various reasons, and you think, gosh, I, I feel I will go to hell for all those dogs I had to do. Mm. Well, you won't. You won't. You're safe. <laughs> but you're also heavily involved in, in, in a lot of research and a lot yeah. of advances in, in yeah. vet science, yeah. in particular stem cell research. Yeah, um, we started stem cells some ooh, over 10 years ago now, and it always surprises me the results that we get. Yeah, we've had some fantastic results. But what what are you doing it for? What what's the the outcome? The main thing you do it for is old dogs with arthritis. Yeah, that that's the main thing. And and something happened to me that happened to a friend of mine in America. The same story, where this old dog, the the gentleman carried the dog in, and I thought it was for euthanasia. He said, "Oh no, no, no! I said I want to try something else, anything else." And he'd been on steroids. He'd been on everything. And he said, I want you to try stem cells. And oh, gosh, all right. So we did the stem cells. I got absolutely hammered by his family. How dare I do that? I was just doing it for the money and whatever. And yeah, and I, I felt bad. A few weeks later, the dog came in, literally ran down the hallway, jumped and put his front legs on my desk, cleared the desk of everything, all the mess that I have in there. And, Yes, I'm so glad I've done this. And his family came in and apologised because they realised it did help this dog. The funniest case was a case many, many years ago. It was only early in the piece. And the gentleman rang me up because he heard we were doing stem cells. And he said, look, my dog's been hit by a car and he's in a... um, a, a, Basically, had no feeling in the back legs and no feeling in the tail. Everything would just hang. The dog had wheels, you know, one of those carts Mm. to to Mm. walk in. It was a big dog. And he said... He's been like this for a while. Would you do stem cells? I said, no, no, this is not going to work. Well, he hounded me like you wouldn't believe. And I said, all right, we'll do stem cells. We did it pro bono because I don't think it's going to work. We'll see how he goes. A few weeks after we did the stem cells, he rings up and says, Doc, I'm so happy we've done it. I said, oh, that's good. Why? He said, because the dog's so happy. Mm, that's lovely. How do you know the dog's happy? He said, he started wagging his tail. <laughs> I oh. not believe it. Now, it shouldn't happen, Stephen. It just shouldn't happen. Then he rings me up a few weeks later and says, Doc, Doc, he said, he just stood up on his own without the cart. He said, this is way beyond what I thought. And I said, mate, this is way beyond what I thought. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So sometimes it, it really um, does things that you, you can't believe. And there are other conditions. There are dry eye conditions that have been treated with it that you, you, know, you don't realise. I had one dog that had bad ears, like chronically bad ears, and somehow we were treating him for arthritis in the knees, but it also helped his ears oh. a lot. It helps a thing called atopy or skin problems. It seems to help. 
How long for? We're not sure. We're still learning a lot about stem cells. It's cutting-edge technology. It's not, oh, yeah, do this and everything will be okay. Mm. It is really cutting-edge technology. Now, if you weren't a vet, Mm. what would you be? Mm. Ooh. I did work with Uncle Tom for a little while as a plumber. (laughs) One of my vacation jobs. Uh, I did a lot. But uh, if there was something you wanted to do... That, and you couldn't be a vet. Mm. Boy, a tough thing. Uh, years and years ago when I was very young, before veterinary science, I was seriously thinking about being a priest, I guess because I, there is a spirituality that I, I believe in and I like reaching to people and helping people. Um, but the pay's not as good, really. No, it's pretty bad. <laughs> but it's just as rewarding. No, probably more rewarding, I guess. Um Medicine always did attract me. There's a science there. And I guess just science, just teaching would be the other thing. When I think about it, the other thing that I did do since I graduated, pretty much most years, I've had a student that I've helped. No, don't charge them. But I've helped with the high school certificate. Right. Why not? I did three of them. I'm a bloody specialist. You're an expert on the high school certificate. And there's a lot of students who would would verify that, that I've helped them. I've not necessarily tutored them in specific areas of of learning of English or, hell, I didn't even speak English when I came to this country, or mathematics or science, but I taught them a very important lesson, the most important lesson which doesn't get taught at school. I taught them how to study and how to discipline themselves into regular study periods. How to study is very important because people will always tell their children, oh, go and do some more study, go and do some more study. No one ever shows them how. Mm. And I show these kids how they do better than the school expected. So just finally, Mm. Rob, why bother doing the doggy pot every week? Ah, Well, I guess it gets back to what I said. Um, I love animals, I love teaching, I love teaching people about their animals. Yeah, you can, I can reach people. I've, I've had people on the other side of the world um, contact me and say, hey, I heard you talk about this on the doggy pod, and can you help me? It's been fabulous. I can help people all over the place with the doggy pod. And for me, that's been very, very valuable. As Albert Einstein said, strive not to be a success, but be of value. Well, hopefully we're of value, and that wraps us up for this week. And as Rob says, we're, you can hear our podcast all over the world. We have listeners in, in America and in, in Germany and oh, yeah, everywhere, really, and we get feedback from them, which is always wonderful. Of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram as The Doggy Pod, so please um, sniff those out, and there's always some extra bits and pieces there. But for this week and this very special episode, um, thank you for listening and uh, The Life of Rob. And we will see you next week. That's all, folks. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.